Part of the young generation. That part that destroys, the part that plunders and ravages for kicks. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 269. A time of release. As a part of Ghost Over on Discovery Plus, Eli Roth and paranormal investigator and Ghost Adventures host Zach Baggins team up for The Haunted Museum, a terrifying nine-episode scripted series bringing to life the stories behind the world's most haunted and cursed artifacts inspired by Zach's collection housed at The Haunted Museum in Las Vegas. A new episode available every Saturday, each created by a different exciting filmmaker in the genre space in collaboration with Eli Roth, featuring exclusive commentary from Zach Baggins himself. Join us for a convo with one of those filmmakers, Justin Harding, with over 100 awards for his work in horror and his acclaimed debut feature Making Monsters available now take a peek at the process behind this unique new show the challenges and the strange events that occurred in bringing the tales behind the infamous Westerfeld dollhouse to life a seven-foot replica of a real-life home that housed Satanists and occult filmmakers. Explore the Demon House of Indiana, where possessed children walked up walls and levitated. Episode 269, and the Haunted Museum, starts now. Each of my prized Haunted Museum items has a story. Tales of terror so frightening, so real, they demand to be told. It's so hard to know what's real and what's the dream. Trust me. I can sense something else is trying to make contact. What the hell? I've seen you before. Show yourself. Who are you talking to? I made a friend. He's telling me how it feels like to die. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a wonderfully talented filmmaker, showrunner, and visual effects artist. He's been at the helm of over a dozen TV series for the likes of Netflix and Discovery. He has written and directed several acclaimed short genre films, including Latched, Cookie, and the winning entry for Hulu's Halloween Film Festival, Carved, in 2018. The time of release back in March of this year, Samuel Goldwyn Films unveiled his debut feature, the outstanding Making Monsters, available to stream now. His work in horror has earned him over 100 awards and accolades from the world's biggest festivals, among them South by Southwest, TIFF, Sitkus, and more. He's got a spectacular vision and a unique sense of world building that makes his projects fascinating to experience. His work can most recently be seen as a part of a new series on Discovery Plus. Eli Roth and paranormal investigator Zach Baggins team up for the Haunted Museum. Zach's collection of the world's most haunted and cursed artifacts are brought to life through terrifying stories. Part of Discovery Plus's Ghost Over event, we are honored to welcome writer-director Justin Harding. Yeah! yeah! Thank you. That is an amazing intro. I'm um, humbled to be on this show. You guys do a great show here and you've had some of my heroes on this show, so I'm, uh, it's, it's a, it's a big deal for me to be on this. So thanks for having me. Dude, Justin, man. Thank you. You're so fucking talented (laughs) and we're huge fans of yours. So again, like before we journey into the haunted museum, where do you, where you call home, man? Where are you? I live in uh, just North of Toronto in Canada. 
I, I live in a small town. I, I was downtown in t- Toronto, but during the, uh, the lockdowns and all that, I got out and moved up north about an hour. I'm from the Toronto area myself. I guess an expatriate, as they call it. <laughs> now down here in LA. I'm so jealous. You have like coffee crisp. That's so good. It's my <laughs> favorite candy bar and we don't have it here. And he was just in Canada and he brought me back some and then I remembered how much I love Yeah, that. but like 100 chocolate bar variety pack. We're going crazy on the Smart. Eat Mores, the Aero bars. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, ketchup chips. Yeah. Coffee crisp is the best. <laughs> so let us in on how your obsession with horror began. Well, it began, um, I've always been in, I've always been a filmmaker since I was a little kid and I always made super weird movies, kind of dark <clears throat> comedies and all kinds of stuff all throughout high school. And then, um, my mom actually was a huge horror fan introduced me at a way too early of an age to a nightmare on Elm street, which was the big eye opener to me. It just was like most creative and inventive thing. Most amazing thing ever. And she actually was the one who watched all horror, you know, my whole entire life and introduced me to it. And I was making all different types of, of movies and short films. And she actually one day asked me to make a film that she wanted to be a producer on. And she really said, you know, make it as scary as possible. I want to terrify people. And, it, and she um, wanted to produce it. So I made one, my first horror short ever it was called Point of View. And um, I made that in one day. We shot in a real morgue, five hours. And I had never been a part of the film festival world or been a part of anything like that. I was... I was um, working in television as a professional director and doing documentary stuff, but I'd never actually been in, involved in the film in, like festival world. And that film got into a bunch of festivals, including Fantasia. And I flew there and met Mitch at Fantasia. And that was the big eye opener to the, the genre world of, wow, this is, um, this is the most fun genre you can work in. And people really responded well to point of view. And it just made me think like, geez, I should make another one. And then, and then it became a very quick obsession. Wow. So what would you say are some of the horror films that were so compelling to you that within them you found elements of what would become your own voice oh good question throughout high school i just loved the shining i know everyone loves the shining but that really was um coming from a filmmaker that didn't specialize in, in horror and it just came from a different place i love the photography and the and the, the symmetry and the mystery of that movie it just, i used to watch it all the time and I love the intensity of um, like Nightmare on Elm Street and the whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Like I watched all of them all the time, you know, growing up. And um, those were, were hugely impactful. And then when I got a little bit older, when I was in, I guess I was still in high school, um, movies like Requiem for a Dream that were extremely dark and horrific and disturbing in different ways, kind of on the fringe of horror. You know, I, I consider that a monster movie because like, addiction's a monster. Like Requiem for a Dream, really bringing a style of filmmaking to it were hugely impactful to me. And I, I always go back and reference The Shining and, and, and movies like, like Requiem. And when it comes to creatures, monsters, um, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, those are the big ones for me that stick out as like the most influential. And then how about your involvement in visual effects? How did that come to play? Was that something that was required from projects that you were working on and you wanted to bring things to life? Or was it something you went and studied in particular? It's one of those things where I, I'm very in high school. I was obsessed with Robert Rodriguez and how he would just do everything. You know, he did the cinematography and the writing, the directing, the composing, and and he um, did his own visual effects on Spy Kids and some other films. And I always wanted to sort of be a one man sort of studio in a sense because I could make proof of concepts or short films very quickly. And so I've always edited. And then I was um, I was directing a TV series called Risky Business and the company was doing a show called The Destination Fear, which is on Travel Channel. This is like ten years. And they were producing it. And um, I came on board as an editor because I was just in the company and they just needed some extra web content made. 
And um, I just made one little visual effect because they were talking, this, this subject was talking about a building that blew up. So I just made one visual effect. I just watched the YouTube tutorial, made this building explode. It was part of this digital content for the series. And the showrunner called me to his office, very upset saying, why is there visual effects in the digital content that's not in the series? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I just felt like something cool. I had made one effect off one tutorial. And he was like, I want those effects in the show. Can you start Monday? And I was like, sure. And I had never done it before. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Yeah, just one of those things. He just, he didn't ask me for a reel or anything. He just said, if you have a computer, yep, you start Monday. And I just, I was like, you know what? On my filmmaking journey, I really want to know how to do this and learn After Effects. So I took the job, started Monday and I was thrown into the fire. And it was like, you know, we had to do all the effects. I did all the effects on the series Destination Fear. And then I did two other series with that same showrunner, uh, Jonathan Duick. And it just through uh, trial by fire, I learned After Effects very quickly. And now I, you know, I do effects on my own shows and my own stuff. And it really helps me as a director though, because I understand the limitations and I understand what I can do. And if I can do it, then, you know, and I can, it helps me communicate with the visual effects team. So it was really, that's really how it came about. How did the opportunity to bring stories to life for the Haunted Museum present itself? It's just a random email because I've been making short films and I guess someone had seen Carve and I just got an email saying, hey, what's your, it was really like, hey, what's your availability? And I was like, what is this? What is this project? And I slowly learned, oh my gosh, it's exactly the type of project that I've been wanting to work on for so long. I had actually years ago developed a very similar concept. And when I did, when I heard that it was based off haunted artifacts in, in this haunted museum, and each artifact has its own, you know, horror film, the story, I, um, I was, I, I'm like, I'm available. <laughs> I'm, I want in on this. And um, they just, you know, had some meetings with me and asked, you know, um, if I could be darker. Cause some of my shorts have a bit of a tone that might be you know, a little funny and they're, they're a little, some of them can be a little tongue in cheek, especially carved, which is a little, you know, more PG 13. And they wanted to make sure that I could uh, be darker. So I, I luckily had been working on a number of treatments for films that are extremely dark in subject matter and tone. So I sent off some writing samples along with my shorts and then that, that's how it came to be. And they said, you know what, we want you to do the first two episodes. So I wrote and directed the first two episodes I also did the editing on the first episode and I did visual effects on both of them. Oh, that's incredible. So what is Eli Roth's and Zach's involvement with the process when it comes to what your experience was? Did you have to deal with them at all or hear from them in any way or collaborate? I would get notes um, through the production company that was producing the show. So I would, um, you know, I was the first one to write the first scripts for the series. So there was, it, there, was a, there was a big proving ground, you know, and they weren't sure exactly how this was going to be. And this was the first scripted series for Discovery Plus, the first scripted series for the company. So there was a lot of eyes on it. So I would write treatments and scripts and then it would go off to Zach and Eli and I would just sit there waiting for notes. I mean, Eli Roth, like I, you know, this is someone I've grown, I've grown up watching his films and like, I can't even believe he's reading this. And um, the note we got back from the company was like, okay, hey, this the script is almost too dark. Um, <laughs> There was like an internal debate on the ending and can we go that dark with the ending? And is it too much? And it was like, let's let Eli Roth be the, de- the deciding factor. And he was like, no, keep it dark, keep it the way it is. And, but it, was, it all came through the company, but that's how the involvement would work. You know, you'd receive these notes back from them just saying like, this is great, you know, do it. And there was, they were very supportive. Did you get to choose the stories that you did or were these particular stories assigned to you? And was there any reason the ones that were uh, sent your way, sent your way? That's a good question. I think um, I definitely didn't get to choose them. They definitely told me you've got a dollhouse and you've got this this like house with these stairs with a, where a demon lives under, under these under the stairs. And um, I don't know why they chose those ones for me. I know that the um, 
The second one I did, Demon Under the Stairs, is based off of one of the most well-documented paranormal cases in North America. It's, it's, you, can, you can read about this case and in detail. The other story, there wasn't as much detail. It was really just the artifact and this, this of the Westerfeld house, this replica. And we knew the history of the, of the Westerfeld house, um, but it was much more, there was much more uh, creative liberties that could be taken there. So maybe they just wanted me to have that one because it was more of an open book creatively and I could really you know, present ideas right, that right. would fit into, the, fit into the box. So I have to ask, have you had any paranormal experiences yourself in general? In general, you know, something did happen when I was working on this show because I would work. Well, not well, just, you know, I don't uh, I'm so, I, working on something like this. You're so busy and you're so you're so in the in the zone that there's not much opportunity for for much else. But I was I do work in the middle of the night. And one night I was. You know, I was, I was, I was working and I, I play, I play a lot of like, um, like horror soundtracks, you know, and so I keep a very scary atmosphere and I've, you can't see it, but I've got a wall of monsters and, and scary artifacts up here. But, uh, I definitely had this vibe going and it was like three in the morning and, and all of a sudden, um, my mirror just kind of jumped off the wall and smacked and shattered on the ground right beside me. And it scared the crap out of me. And I was writing a scene where the character was sneaking around hearing noises and it just happened at that exact moment. And then I legit just, just stared at it, at this broken glass. I just stared at it for so long. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react. And I was writing a scene where this woman was experiencing something similar, where she was seeing a shadowy figure. And it was just too weird. I still don't know what happened there. But that's really the only moment that ever happened during the making of it that was, that was frightening. The only other frightening realities was just, you know, trying to produce something like this and the budget within budget and within the schedule we had. That's a truly horrifying experience. So the the mirror thing, it it happened while working on the demon house. Working right in the demon house at like three in the morning. And um, I had headphones on because I was playing music. And I have a six year old who's in the next room. So I was just playing it in my headphones and it was just a loud shattering. Oh my God. Mirror mirror broken everywhere. And I, I have no idea how that, would even happen physically. The, the original documentary that of Zach's footage, his original footage from his investigation of that house, there is a documentary film of that. Lauren and I are too afraid yeah, to watch no. it because of the warning at the beginning of the fucking documentary that says uh, exactly that. stuff like what happened to you might happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny. I never even thought about that until you asked that question, but that definitely happened and it definitely scared me. Like, and I don't get scared, you know, and I, I don't have experiences like that. I, that was, that's one of the only times in my life I was actually terrified because it, it was inexplicable and I, I, I couldn't understand it. But it was good because my reaction to it was just frozen staring. I think that made its way into the script at that point. Right. What do you do? Right. So uh, just to give you know people listening the mechanics of the show. So each episode opens with Zach doing a monologue about a real life haunted item that he houses in his museum in Las Vegas and his backstory. Then a cinematic piece inspired by that backstory is featured. So, Leo, you had a question about the writing of these episodes. Yeah. In terms of researching and writing uh, these episodes, were you able to, to research and track down the actual previous owners of the dollhouse were you able to speak with Latoya Ammons since uh, Zach's uh, Demon House documentary? No, I didn't get to speak with her personally. I know that the the Ammons story is a famous story, and, th- and that that story has been optioned by different film companies over the years. I know, like ten years ago, it, w- it was it was supposed to be turned into a Conjuring style, you know, big Hollywood film. And I think they're they're kind of buttoned up in certain deals. I know that the the priest is is in a deal, and so is Latoya, or at least was. All the re- and I did a lot of research on the stories, and what I did, I didn't contact them directly. I couldn't really talk to them directly. It was really more about reading the um, Department of Child Services reports 
and the police reports and, and digging into the actual like documented reports and um, and then all the other stories that have come out and, and the research material came from from different sources. But I, I, I but I leaned heavily like the you know the uh, the moments that happened in the film are taken directly out of the Department of Child Services reports. You know the fact and some of the crazier things that happen in real life in those reports you wouldn't even believe them. And then, and some of those aren't even, they, they didn't even make their way into the movie because they were impossible to actually produce. Like the real life case is, is truly scary. And, and it's because this, you know, this woman lost her children for, for months. She, the kids were taken away from her and she lost custody for about six months while they figured this out. And that to me was the, the was the tragedy of the story is, you know, a parent losing their children to something like this. And you don't, you don't have control of it. Everyone thinks you're crazy. And the kids are off in these different psych wards and being evaluated. The fact that, you know, the children were taken was what I sort of like, well, I really wanted to focus on that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. You did that beautifully in, in what you created. Some of the things that you felt were almost impossible to recreate from the actual story itself. What is an example of one thing that just got under your skin? The Boo Crew will be right back. If something frightening happens to you today, think about it. It may be a warning. It may be the omen. 20th Century Fox presents The Omen. It is too much to be an accident, too strange to be a coincidence, too frightening to be ignored. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. You have been warned. some of the things that you felt were almost impossible to recreate from the actual story itself. What is an example of one thing that just got under your skin? There's two, there's two, the actual, we just, it went, yeah. Cause when you're telling you, this is a big story, it takes place over the course of a year and there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of settings and our episodes are 30 minutes. So you have to sort of pick and choose, you know, what's, what's right for the story that you, that you can tell. But an example of something that didn't make it was the oldest daughter. Um, there was a family gathering after a funeral and, um, they heard screaming coming from her room and all the family was there and the guests were there and the, the adults ran up to her bedroom where all the children were. And she was just levitating on the bed. She was levitating off the bed and they witnessed it. And everyone started praying and praying. And she slowly came down. And that's, 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 a, that's, you know, there's many eyewitnesses to that. The other one is directly in the department of child services report. Valerie Washington, who was the caseworker witnessed along with another caseworker witnessed the youngest boy walking up the wall walking all the way up the wall and across the ceiling. And um, that's something else that's, it's, it's just, there's eyewitnesses from the Department of Child Services in the actual reports. It's not just Latoya saying this, it's not her, her mother, it's in the reports, it's in the police reports as well. And so that's, that's the stuff that, that's really like interesting. You know, how, um, how is there eyewitnesses to this? And, you know, that makes it feel real. What about the design of the house? Let's take the, the Demon House one that you did, Demon Under the Stairs. Was there any research done into exactly how the house looked? Did you make a trip to the Haunted Museum and see the staircase for yourself? The Well, Zach did that documentary called Demon House, which takes place in that house. So you could watch, you guys haven't watched it because you're scared, but that documentary, he, um, he spends a lot of time in that house. He locks himself in that house. And in that documentary, you can really see the layout and how everything, how everything uh, is laid out and and at the end, they yeah, they demolish it, and he took the stair. He took the stairs. So visually, it's all there in that documentary, Demon House. So, did you have to make a trip to the haunted museum at all during this process? 
Well, no. And also we did film this during the height of the lockdowns and, and during COVID. So it was very, you know, it's all done remote, you know, and, we, and, w- and when you go to shoot during these weird times, you know, it's, it's strict, strict protocol. So I think flying to Vegas and back would have been, would have, would have meant uh, a lot of quarantining and, you know, it wasn't necessary for this. Well, let's get into Dollhouse of the Damned a little bit. Was the Dollhouse in your short the actual size? Like, was it made to scale of the one that's that's housed in the museum? The thing is massive. Seven feet tall is the real one, and so is ours. So ours is a replica of that. Yeah. Oh my God! So, anyone uninitiated who's listening, can you give us a little bit of the backstory behind that Dollhouse? Well, the Dollhouse, you know, um, it's a seven foot tall replica of the Westerfeld House. Which is still uh, which is still there in, in San Francisco, and the the Westerfeld House was the home of Kenneth Anger, the, the famous occult filmmaker, and um, he uh, would make these films there. And um, Anton Lavey, the founder of the Church of Satan, was a regular at the house, and they would perform all kinds of satanic rituals in the house. And there's all kinds of reports of opening portals and 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 that sort of thing. One of the stars of uh, of uh, those films went on to be a part of the you know the Manson Helter Skelter murders. There, it's got this yeah. There's a there's a crazy history of satanic activity in that house, specifically with the Church of Satan through Anton Lavey, and and so so the house the house does have this this history. And it's still there, and you can you can go there and visit it in San Francisco. So and then someone made a full scale replica of this house at some point, and it ends up in an antique store, I assume. And Zach ended up buying it. Well, Zach stumbled upon it in an antique store. No one knows where it came from. And he just felt his story is that he just felt drawn to it. Had to purchase this thing, had no idea about the Westerfeld house, but purchased it, brought it home and was compelled to decorate it with uh, satanic imagery. And he felt, you know, just drawn to it in a weird way. And, and later on went back to the antique store and found out it was a replica of the Westerfeld house. Then he went to an episode where he researched the house and, and tells the bigger story. Yeah, so that's that's the house, the the dollhouse, how it came to be. No one really knows where it came from or who made it. Oh, that's fascinating. In that feature that you do, the there's so much design work that goes into it. And in particular, the the dolls themselves that looked very laborious, down to different facial expressions used throughout. Can you let us in on that process a bit? Yeah, yeah, there was a secret there. So, so the idea was um, we. We, we did 3D prints of the actors. So the actors were brought to a place and we, we did 3D scans of their heads. And, um, and then the, we, we made the dolls and we had them, I've created a list of all the different expressions I wanted and they would just go in and stand there and do the expression. We do the 3D scan and then they would fabricate the head and, and the head would go into the dolls. So that the, the, if you watch it, the expressions are subtle, but they're, they're specific. And that's why they look so close to the actor. We talk, you know, we, and then what we did is you, you know, you take that replica, you know, miniature head, and then you paint on top of it and make it look like it's, it's hand painted by the character. But to really do that in real life would have taken, you know, months and months and months of, you know, uh, impossible work. So that, that was the, that was the secret there. My favorite scene was when you see the mom just kind of hanging out in the closet at one point. It's an awesome jump scare. What was the shot you're most happy with visually? Oh, um, I really like the lightning storm at the end. I've always wanted to do some, uh, you know, I was, I've always wanted to climax in the lightning storm where you're, it's revealing, it's revealing, you know, the, the scary and the, and the hit of lightning and that stuff turned out really great. But down in the, down in the dollhouse, there's a moment where, where she discovers the kind of display, the diorama and, the, and he's holding, I don't want to ruin the story for anybody, but he's holding the baby and there, and the lightning flashes just as a drip of blood comes off of it. We, we shot, we shot that in close ups on a separate day. 
And we just, it took so long to get that perfect drop of blood. And, and I should say, Jonathan Craig, who plays the father, that's his, that's his real baby. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, and so Jonathan's a friend of mine. He was in Carved. He was in the um, opening. He's the, the farmer. He was, he was in Making Monsters. He owns that church that we shot Making Monsters in. He's a prosthetic makeup artist and an actor. And I wrote it specifically for him and his real baby, Oscar. And uh, so when we were doing that scene, he was there dripping the blood on because he's, he's a special effects makeup artist. He's dripping the blood on the knife to get that perfect drip. And, that, and then we got it with the flash of lightning. And we the whole, you know, everyone, everyone on set just clapped because it took us a while and we got it. And I was like, ah, those little details are everything. One of my favorite scenes is how you show the most disturbing scenes in the dollhouse recreation itself. Was the idea to actually film those with the actors as well? Or was it always the case to just show it through the perspective of the dolls? No, it's always to show it through the dolls because it's, it's um, cause then your imagination can fill in the rest and it's, and it's more frightening than showing it. The, the, the spark of inspiration for this whole idea was the idea of a father and, a, and his daughter who, who's experienced the trauma, the loss of this mother and, and the dollhouse at the beginning. The idea that I really fell in love with was that he's creating this hypothetical life that you know, they should have had if she didn't die. Um, the, the happy moments. And so I love that. I love that idea that, you know, he's, he's creating moments that, that should have been their happiest moments. And to me, that just felt so tragic and beautiful. I and mean, then that slowly blends into these, this other dollhouse reality where, you know, the demon starts to just play tricks on them. And so I, lo- I love the idea that exists in, in his diagrams and his dioramas. So in that particular story, your mandate was to kind of build a backstory of how quite possibly that house ended up in an antique store and, and, what happened to the family who owned it previously? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. There was, you know, going back to the dollhouse itself, Anton LaVey, you know, he, there's a famous demon that he had conjured. I read this book. Oh, where is it? Oh, here it is here. I have this great black arts book. Um, and it talks about all the different demons and spells and everything. And there was this, there's this whole part about Anton LaVey and this very specific demon that he famously resurrected. And that demon was a shapeshifter, a trickster that would appear in different forms, the form of a woman, the form of whatever. And so I really use that as the inspiration because it's connected to Anton LaVey and the house that this demon that was conjured is, um, it, it messes with them. It's a trickster. It'll show up as the mother It'll lure them. It feeds off of their, their grief. And so that was, that was, that was how the, um, yeah, that's, that's how that idea came about. Where's the dollhouse now? The one that was built? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the production, I'm sure the production company, Cream, who produced it, I'm sure they have all the props on lockdown somewhere. There's a number of them that I really want because those dolls, I would love to have those dolls. I think we talked about putting some of them into the actual museum for yeah. Zach. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure where they ended up. I'm sure they're under lockdown somewhere. Yeah, were the uh, conjuring spells or incantations uh, real or made up for the episode? They're real. Ooh. Oh, wow. All the words that are spoken were f- are from actual spells. I mean, I, I kind of changed a word here or there. Or, or, I mean, they're much longer in real life and you have to do them under certain you know conditions, right? And high energy and all that. But definitely the words spoken in the dollhouse are taken right out of spells. Oh, really? <laughs> I had a question about yeah. the Demon Under the Stairs. How... Do you give your young actors the space to find um, where they need to be in consideration of the extreme and really scary subject matter? It's a good question. I, I, I feel like I've done a ton of projects with children and it's um, step. Step number one is just casting the right, you know, the right talent who can actually just you know, pull that up. So casting is number one, just find kids who have the skills and can go there very quickly. 
And then it's just, um, you know, you, each, each child, each actor has their own way of working and their own method of getting there, or they need something specific to get to that place. And so for me, it's just a matter of finding out very quickly what that is. And it can be different for certain people. Some, some actors, you can, they just know it, they get it, and they can just bring it. And then it's really just a matter of, you know, boosting energy or bringing it down or finding the truth in it. And others, you have to actually give them very playable, specific direction that translates in the emotion that you want. So if, sometimes if, if, if I'm not getting the right reaction, I'll, if, if, if a child's you know, supposed, to, supposed to cry or going through something or I need some sort of reaction and I'm not getting it, I'll try different things and say, okay, do it as if you have a stomach ache and you're on the verge of throwing up or something physical that they can play. And then they'll start doing it. And if certainly, and then it'll start to feel authentic and then I can make adjustments. So it's a, it's a you know, bag of tricks that, that, run, that runs the gamut from just relying on them as a talent to trying different things that are trying different um, forms of direction that are playable. Are there any objects housed in the haunted museum that haven't been turned into stories that you would love to get your hands on and build something around? Oh, that's a good question too. I, 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 you know, we're talking about um, if we do another season, I really want to get in there early and figure out what they all are. Cause I don't have a full understanding of, of his museum. I haven't been there. So I don't know exactly which ones I want to do, but I know I really, I really love, uh, yeah, I really love to learn more about the, about the, uh, the artifacts and get in there. I like the, the mandate of this show was to make it as scary as possible. And so the, sometimes these stories, you have this like real life story that's connected to it. And if it's the more specific it is, the kind of, sometimes the harder it is to make it as scary as you want, because it's connected to a real story. I actually like, the art, I like the artifacts that are a little bit looser where the, where the filmmakers can take a little bit of liberty. Certain audience members will want hardcore truth. I just want to make something that's really entertaining and scary and based on truth. So I'd like to find artifacts that just will inspire the most terrifying concepts and run in that direction. If we do more, that's what I'm going to ask for. That's a really great answer, man. It's really, really great. So what's the next project you have rising to the surface for us to enjoy? Oh my gosh. I just finished a pilot for a series. I just finished like two days ago. You can probably hear my voice is still strained from screaming. Uh, um, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, horror series, another sort of anthology type series where each episode is, is truly terrifying. Uh, I can't really say too much about it cause we're, we're just in the early stages of it, but we went ahead and produced a full 30 minute pilot for it. And it's, it's great. It's got a great monster. Actually, I'll show you a piece of the prosthetic here. Hell yeah. So this is top secret stuff, but our actress wears this prosthetic on her back. Whoa! Whoa oh, damn! Yeah, so cool. Inside of it, inside of it lives creatures that come out. So, can't say too much about it, but I can tell you, <laughs> it's designed to be, you know, to, it's a celebration of practical prosthetics, makeup effects, and truly terrifying character-driven horror. Wow! Wow, that's awesome. That feels quite elevated. So, so that's I just finished that. I'm in. It's actually transcoding in the background on my computer right now. And so moving in, moving in that direction very quickly, I'd like to have that cut before Halloween because we've got to shoot all the inserts. So that's coming down the line next and carved. We're working on a feature version of carved as well. Oh, amazing. That's been in the works for a while. And um, we're working with uh, yeah, 20th century studio, a division of uh, 20th century that's, that's doing it um, for Hulu possibly. So we're, we're trying to we're working on a, another draft of the script. Now we've got a great producer on board. Uh, so yeah, working on that uh, simultaneously with the pilot. Oh, that's so exciting! And you got Cookie on your T-shirt, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if anyone wants to see any of these short films, I know you can um, stream your feature right now. But if anyone wants to see the short films, they're available on your website. And what's that website address? 
Oh, justinhardingfilmmaker.com is my website where I host, uh, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and, and press and some other stuff. You can also see them on Alter. I've, I've put all my short films on Alter, the channel. So they're all on there as well. Awesome, Justin. Man, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's been an absolute delight and congratulations on the Haunted Museum and everything else you got going on, man. It's truly exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. I feel honored and much appreciate it. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 269. Special thanks to our guest, Justin Harding. Follow him at JustinHarding underscore and JustinHardingFilmmaker.com. The time of release, check out new episodes of The Haunted Museum every Saturday on Discovery+. Plus. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.